Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallum. There is an organization called the Seeing Eye. The organization enhances the self-confidence, dignity, and independence of blind people through the use of seeing eye dogs. It's a guide dog school located in Morristown, New Jersey, that raises and breeds puppies to become seeing eye dogs, trains the canines to guide blind people, instructs blind individuals in the caring and handling of the dogs, and supports and conducts research on canine development and health. Seeing Eye President and Chief Executive Officer Glenn Hoagland and Advocacy Specialist and former Seeing Eye student Melissa Allman join us to talk about this special guide dog school and answer your questions about guide dogs. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Yes, thank you very much. Glenn and Melissa, tell us about yourselves. Well, I'm Glenn Hoagland, and I'm really, really delighted to be here as the new president and CEO of the Seeing Eye. Um, I've only been here about 100 days, so I'm really, really still very new to the job and learning and listening every day and understanding how our mission really is brought through uh, to serve the, the, our students and our graduates. And um, I'm really pleased to succeed Jim Kutch, who was the president and CEO for 13 years, but had been a um, student and a graduate of the organization for nearly 50 years. And um, so I had a great opportunity to overlap with Jim as a special advisor. And um, really, uh, he gave me great uptake about the organization. And um, I just have so much more to learn. Um, but for me, it's, it's great to be here um, because I, I feel like I am in the right place, uh, given the mission and the organization and the passion with which our entire staff, you know, approaches our, our, our focused mission and the clarity of purpose we have in producing the world's best guide dogs and um, the most sustainable guide dog partnerships. So it's really exciting to be here. And I guess what one of the parts of, of my inspiration for being here is that my mother was blind. And um, of course, growing up the son of a blind mother, nothing could be more normal. But um, really uh, learned a lot and knew about the seeing eye from my mother, even though she never had her own seeing eye dog. Um, but I did grow up locally here to Marstown, New Jersey. And although I was out of uh, New Jersey for 40 years, I'm just delighted to be back and leading this storied organization. That's Hi. very good. So, you must have had to work through some stepping stones to become president. Yes, I, I certainly passed the sniff test of our dogs, I guess, as a starting point. And um, uh, we had a, a really great, um, you know, process uh, uh, to uh, that culminated in uh, the decision to bring me on board, which I'm just so honored by. Your turn, Melissa. Tell us briefly about yourself and your experience as a Seeing Eye student. Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I was born blind. And I am actually originally from Ohio, but I've had the opportunity to live in quite a few different places on the East Coast for a while, but then also in Chicago. And although I was a cane user for most of my life, and while I was a practicing lawyer, 
for about 12 and a half years. I spent most of that time also working with a cane. Once I moved to Chicago, I really felt that my opportunities for independence there were vast. And I felt that I was not going to be able to take advantage of them in the way that I wanted to without increasing the mobility tools available to me. So I decided to apply to the seeing eye, of course, at that time, not having any idea that I would later be working there. And three years ago, this coming Saturday, I was matched with Luna, a yellow lab golden cross, who is my first seeing eye dog. And she's amazing. But I know you've heard things like that before about guide dogs, I'm sure. But my life changed that day that I was matched with Luna. I gained so much freedom and so much independence that I didn't think was possible or that I couldn't really have conceptualized until I experienced it myself. I was a pretty proficient cane traveler, but now being able to move swiftly down a sidewalk and not actually have to touch the bench or the mailbox or the steps jutting out or the hole in the sidewalk if there was one or a, a, a sharp drop off of a curb where there, you would expect that there might be some truncated domes, but there aren't, things of that nature. I was now able to move swiftly around things with my dog straight up to the crosswalk and get safely across the street. So I go places now, not just because I can, because before I could get places, but it wasn't, it wasn't as fun and freeing as it is now with Luna. So even doing basic things like running errands still is something that I don't take for granted because I have her and because it's so much easier. When I got Luna, of course, as I said at that time, when I was matched with her, I didn't know that I would be coming to work here just a short time later, but about a year to the day that I was matched with her, I put in my application for this position as advocacy and government relations specialist here at the Seeing Eye. And I began my work here in April of 2018. I have not looked back. Now, Melissa, what does one need to be a good candidate for owning a seeing eye, for owning a seeing eye dog? I understand that they that the blind have to learn how to care for, handle, and give love to the dogs, and the users have got to have the mental, emotional, and physical capabilities of handling the stress of ta- of training with a guide dog. Yes, that's part of it for sure. But even before you arrive at the seeing eye, you have to meet certain application and eligibility criteria. And I will be honest and say to you that for a very long time, I would not have been a good candidate. I had to get to a point where I was ready and willing and able to make the commitment for a seeing eye dog. So your travel skills have to be strong enough with your cane that you can direct a dog, provide the dog with the information that it needs in order to be able to fulfill the commands that you give it and get you safely where you need to go. A dog is not a GPS. I am responsible for telling Luna where I want to go and she's responsible for helping me to get there safely. We know what we expect from each other. And until I felt that my travel skills were strong enough, I wasn't even going to consider applying for a dog. Also, you have to have the right visual acuity in that 
you can't have too much vision. I am one of those people for whom it's pretty cut and dry because I don't have any vision and really never have had much of any. But it can be a little more complicated because, of course, blindness is sort of a spectrum in that there can be someone who has some vision but could greatly benefit from working with a dog. But if you have too much vision, you can inadvertently interfere with the work that the dog is doing. And that's something that cannot really make a match successful. You also have to have the physical stamina to be able to work with your dog. Your dog is there to be a, a partner with you in getting where you need to go, but your dog needs work. So that means there might be some days where you might feel like taking paratransit or a cab or getting a ride from a friend where you have somewhere to go that actually is walkable and it's important to make sure that you do those things with your dog because if your dog does not get enough work, it can gain weight inappropriately, which is not good for the dog's joints. And of course, it can lose its training and skills if it's not getting the kind of regular, regular work that it needs. So that's something that's really important. And of course, very importantly, and, and none of these things really work without this, this other thing, you have to be able to love and bond with your dog and give your dog the support, the reassurance, the praise, the discipline when needed that that is required in order to make that team successful. You have to be willing to care for your dog's medical and health needs. Celebrating those great moments when your dog, you tell your dog forward to go across the street and your dog doesn't and you wonder why and then you hear that car turn in front of you and then you get safely across the street and you have a little praise party where you tell your dog how great they were. So those are the moments that that are important. And of course, you have to be willing to pick up after your dog and go out in the rain, And but it's all worth it. What are some of the additional emissions requirements to attending the uh, seeing eye, Glenn? Well, uh, as Melissa said, it really is a question of being ready and having the travel skills. Um, and beyond that, uh, we really, you know, after our students are, are vetted and, and worked through our admissions department, um, uh, they uh, you know, really have to be scheduled. Uh, we have to have the available dogs, and we always make sure that we have enough dogs to support every incoming class. Classes are um, generally between 20 and 24 in size, and um, there are 12 or 13 classes a year, depending on the year. And so we're serving about 260 students each year. About a third of those are new students right now, and about two-thirds are returning graduates who are coming back for a subsequent dog because of course as you can imagine the life and the service life of the dog uh, in terms of their working years is generally between six and ten years and uh, so many of our students have started young uh, or you know in, in an early part of their life and come back from multiple dogs and are still uh, working with their dogs you know well into their uh, you know later years so you can be as young as 16 and we have we have long graduates who are still working with dogs who are in their 90s that's good. Um, Glenn, give us a typical day of attending the Seeing Eye and what the school expects of its human and canine students from day to day. Sure, I will do this, and mostly you can fill in this as you see fit. But um, it is a rigorous program. Uh, they, uh, they come, the, the new students come for 24 days, 25 days. The returning students come for 18 days. And um, 
every day really begins at 5.30 in the morning with students getting up to take their dogs out before breakfast. And then after breakfast, they go to town and work at our downtown training center on the streets of Morristown, New Jersey, uh, with, with our guide dog mobility instructors and with their dogs. And uh, they work until really 5.30 at night and come to dinner at the Seeing Eye. And then after they after dinner, they have evening lectures. We um, support our students with lectures on everything from canine health, uh, veterinary care, um, uh, safe streets. Uh, uh, what are some other examples? Of dog this? care, yeah. dog supplies, pet, ins well, dog insurance that for your dog for health care needs. Um, it, it's sort of a traffic uh, interference from the public. And, and you know, it's really a day, it's, it's having been a student three years ago, it was a blur, but it was memorable at the same time. So you get there the first day, you're oriented to your surroundings. They do some what are known as Juno walks. So that is a walk where an instructor simulates the guide dog experience so that they can review what, it's, what your pace and your pull are as they prepare to match you with a dog. You do that a little bit the next day. And then Wednesday is dog day. And that's the best day at the seeing eye because everybody gets their dogs and meets them for the first time. But then after that, the, the sort of routine is that, that 5.30 park. And then after breakfast, um, so you get up and relieve and feed your dog at, at 5.30 in the morning. And when breakfast is over at about quarter of eight, you start getting your plans for the morning and you take a trip with your dog into town and do a route in the morning, then you have lunch and then you have another trip in the afternoon. And of course there are lectures thrown in there as well and there's an evening lecture after dinner much of the time and that last relieving time with your dog is at eight o'clock and then after that you're sort of winding down and they, they make sure that there's enough time for you to have some quality and bonding time to play with your dog and groom your dog. Because when the dog's harness is off, this is a dog. This is somebody who needs to get to know you and understand what being your partner is really going to be like. Melissa, how are canines trained to make the cut and become seeing eye dogs? As far as what I can say about that, with just based in my knowledge, is that at seven weeks old, so the, the let me start from the beginning. The dogs are bred at a the Seeing Eye Breeding Station, which is located here in New Jersey, and that's where they're born. And then once they're weaned at seven weeks old, they are placed with their puppy raiser families. And I actually had the pleasure of being a puppy raiser at one point and, and helping to raise a puppy, and it's an incredible experience. And the job of the puppy raisers is to help the dogs learn basic manners for the house, but also to take the dogs on outings with their puppy clubs so that they can get as much exposure to the social situations that they will be in when they're matched with their partners. And then somewhere between 14 and 18 months old, the puppies are called back to the seeing eye to begin their formal training. And then they live at the seeing eye and are trained with the instructors in everything from learning how to adjust to the harness at the beginning to traveling the streets of New York City with someone holding onto that harness handle and trusting them toward the end. And then after the dog's typically four-month training cycle is completed, the process of finding a person to be matched with that dog 
begins. And of course, there's a little bit of variance in some of this depending on some dogs wait a little longer for their match than other dogs, but it just, it really, it's, it's, an, it's a pretty cyclical process. I see. Glenn, what happens after students graduate from the, from the uh, program? I understand that there is no actual graduation ceremony. Right. Our, our students become graduates and they, they leave the seeing eye with their guide dog partner, their seeing eye dog, and they, they start their journey of independence together and or enhanced independence. And um, oftentimes our students who are from the U.S., all over the U.S. and Canada will, will be getting on an airplane with, the, with their dog for the first time. So they may be um, transported to Newark Airport or another nearby airport to fly out to their home town or home city. And then um, we support the graduate as needed. In many cases, the graduate um, is very self-sufficient with their dog and they've, they've forged a very strong uh, partnership from the very beginning. In other cases, they may need some a little adjustment to their home city or hometown. And so there are instances where we will do a follow-up visit um, fairly soon after they graduate or even a little bit later as, as they need. We are always um, available to our graduates throughout their lifetime if they need um, home support. Uh, and uh, we also do a lot of telephone counseling if that uh, need arises. So they may get back to their hometown. There may be a particular intersection um, that's challenging. And um, that can be worked through either um, through some remote um, work with our uh, guide dog mobility instructor or um, by paying them a home visit. If I could just add something to that, I just sure. want to say that one of the things that's great about the seeing eye is that we have the best of both worlds. We leave here and we own our dogs, and that's pretty amazing. That means that we get to make all of the decisions about our dogs in terms of having that autonomy, but the seeing eye doesn't leave us hanging. The seeing eye is there if we do struggle, like when I got home and I had to cross a really, really wide street and we needed some adjustment and some assistance there. So an instructor came out and, and worked with us after having talked some things through. And so the seeing eye is definitely always there for the for the graduates, but they're also always there for the dogs because if a graduate, it, when it comes time to retire your dog, it's obviously the graduate's decision about finding either either keeping the dog as a pet or finding another home for the dog. But if that is not possible, the seeing eye always has a place for our dogs. And if a graduate contacts us and says, I, I have to retire my dog and I don't have a place for, for my dog to go, the seeing eye then takes, response, takes the dog and, and helps find a home for the dog once, once the dog is retired. So that's one of the things that I love about the seeing eye is that, yes, we're given autonomy and freedom and independence, but we are given the support that we need and so are the dogs. Melissa and Glenn? How can our users learn more about the seeing eye? Sure. Well, folks can go to www.seeingeye.org, our website. Um, it is accessible. And um, that's probably the best way to learn about us. There's a pretty comprehensive information on all aspects of our admissions, training, our breeding programs, our uh, support of students and graduates. Uh, what else would you say, Melissa? I would say that the website is a really great resource. We have a, an extensive video library there 
and some of that video content is audio described and it's on our YouTube channel and there's also a page that's devoted specifically to the access related issues that I just mentioned if you go to seeingeye.org slash access that is a good portfolio of resources and then also seeingeye.org slash protect is a great place where more can be learned about issues that are related to the unfortunate scenario of attacks or some sort of harm that might come to guide dogs that are working as a result of interference. That, that helps provide people information about their, their options and avenues that they can explore should that happen. And also guidedogatwork.org is a really great resource. It is there it is, it is there to be used. It's got a lot of materials, such as a video, a lesson plan for teachers, a flyer, some posters, all about ways that people can help educate other dog owners about not interfering or not, not allowing their dogs to interfere with guide dog teams while they're working. Anything else you would like to add? I would say that we're just really honored to be on your show today and to um, you know have an opportunity to talk about the Seeing Eye. We're a legacy organization and um, very, very proud of the work we do. And for me coming here, um, you know, new to the position, uh, it's just really amazing to see the clarity of mission and focus here uh, on you know our our work to uh, create these sustainable guide dog partnerships um, with uh, the Seeing Eye. One, one other piece of information we'd love to share with you is that last Tuesday, the governor of the state of New Jersey actually named the Seeing Eye dog as the state dog. So New Jersey had never had a state canine before last Tuesday, and um, the Seeing Eye dog um, is now the state dog of New Jersey. That's one good honor. Congratulations. Thank you. And we are about to be 91 years young. Wow, yes. congratulations. Today, in fact, is the last day of our 90th year, and tomorrow begins the next 90 years here at the Seeing Eye. Glenn and Melissa, the Seeing Eye truly helps the blind pair up with some new best friends that will help them navigate their world. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website at speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org and my show archive is at acbradio.org speaking-out dash four dash sha dash blind please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says home speaking out for the blind where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to speaking out for the blind shows ranging from episode 94 to the present that's all for this edition of speaking out for the blind thanks for listening and remember speak out Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, 
please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Luscious ocean waves, peaceful music, inviting us to spend time together in the quiet. This show, in its sixth year and now on ten stations, brings each week peaceful music and inspiring messages for greater well-being. What if some added peacefulness could give you some extra elasticity of spirit during your week? What if added quiet time could make a difference in actions versus reactions, in choices and overall quality of life? I'm Debbie Hazelton, bringing this show each Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern here on ACB Radio Interactive. I hope you'll join us where together our time we spend in the quiet makes a positive difference in our world. That's Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, here on ACB Radio Interactive, In the Quiet. Quiet. The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. ACB Radio.